Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, it is uh, Leaders Debate Day. It is less than two weeks until Election Day in Alberta. And uh, since we last met with our citizens panel, a lot has transpired uh, on the campaign trail. So we got a lot to talk about over the next hour as we welcome back our panelists. And they, they even have like their own seats now. They all sat in like the exact same seats. So that's that's good. We got some routine going here. So let's go around the table. Some reintroduction. here. We've got uh, Mo Gitchin. Mo, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, Deirdre uh, is uh, back with us. Deirdre McLean is uh, sitting right next to him. Deirdre, thanks for coming back. And uh, Julie Tiut. 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 <laughs> it's a tricky one. It's good uh, to be back. Maybe the easiest name of them all, Michael Brown. Good afternoon. All right. Welcome back, panelists. Now, we just had a conversation with Charles Adler. A lot of people talking about that interview he did last night with, with Jason Kenney. Now, just quickly, did, did any of you get to hear some or all of it last night? I did. Yeah. You did? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. Bits and pieces. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, uh, I mean, general impressions of the interview, and I, I think that kind of will, will segue into some of these issues that have come up, obviously, over the last week, uh, in particular for the UCP. But, um, well, Mo, let, let's go around the table. Mo, Mo, your impressions. Well, I thought he was harsh on Jason Kenney. I think that uh, um, his, uh, it just, it seemed... It was relentless. The bits and pieces that I heard as well. I didn't hear the full the full interview, but what I did hear, I was uh, I was I was rather surprised. I didn't think it was that big of an issue, but it seemed like it was to him. Yeah, Deirdre. Um, I think he did hold. He held Kenny to account this time, and that was that was something that he's taken a little bit of flack for because he did mention as well he hasn't talked to him for a year. So, I think he. I mean, there was there was one or two points there as well where I was kind of like, wow, that was not necessarily a little much, but he definitely made sure that he held him to account. He didn't he didn't give any leeway at all. Yeah, Julie. Um, I think what I heard was uh, I think he uh, Charles Adler echoed a lot of conservative people out there, and that they're kind of angry and disappointed in how Jason Kenny's been hand, handling these issues. They hoped he'd be a little bit smarter and uh, less divisive, and they're mad because it's going to hurt him. And I think we'll see that tonight. Michael, what do you think? Um, I think we're... Uh, he got taken to task for sure, um, but he didn't do himself any favors by um, allowing it to continue and saying, well, he's changed and this is this, and Allowing it to, I guess, fester over time now has, uh, he's kind of lost a lot of support. And still, again, as a fiscal conservative and a social liberal, um, he didn't do himself any favors by doing what Jason Kenney did this week. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think from Kenney's perspective, or the leader of any Big Ten conservative party, and it's a challenge, it was a challenge for Stephen Harper, it's a challenge for Andrew Scheer, is that if you're building a Big Ten conservative party, it includes social liberals and social conservatives, right? Generally, economic issues are kind of the, the rallying point, I, I think, for, for Big Ten conservative parties. So I understand that Jason Kenney doesn't want to exclude social conservatives, but I think there are people who are sort of fiscally conservative, socially progressive, who say, well, I'm okay with it to a point. At, at, at some point, I start to get uncomfortable with maybe where some of these people are coming from, right? Yep. And everyone's kind of got a different tipping point. Mm-hmm. What is it for you, do you think, Michael? Uh, this may be the tipping point. Um, 
I may look at uh, a different party um, to vote for because I'm not entirely sure where this all lies at the end of the day. Is it the primary focus of the NDP and it's like uh, um, the card trick? Pay attention over here in my right hand so you don't see what my left hand is doing because I on my left hand, I've kind of screwed things up for four years really badly. But over here, I can say how good I am with social issues. So it's... I think a bit of a misdirection as well, because that's the only thing they seem to be piling on. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, certainly, I, I think, Mo, let me put it to you. I mean, I, the NDP is more than happy to to let this be an issue. How, how does Jason Kenney ensure that it's not an issue? Does he leave this candidate alone? Does he dump the candidate and, and risk a backlash within his own party? How, how do you think he needs to handle it? Well, I think he's done a very good job of, of uh, qualifying his position on a number of occasions, actually. I um, I think that uh, the, the comments that were made were made many years ago. They were made uh, even prior to this, uh, to Smith being a, an MLA. And the oddly enough, those comments never, as far as I know, came up during his tenure as an MLA. And I don't think it's uh, it affected his his position as an MLA. So I think um, there's you know there's been a uh, some time has passed. I think some of this you know this progression that we've had in society is a, is a bit of a learning curve for everybody too. So I, um, um, I doubt very much that he would, um, say the things that he, this Mark Smith has said in the past. I hope he wouldn't. Um, but I think that, uh, there's, 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 you know, there, it was some time ago and it was much prior to the election. Yeah. Uh, dear Drew, what do you think? I listened to Jason Kenney's, uh, bring back oil and gas jobs for Alberta. <clears throat> One of the things that he said during that was that he would get rid of Ed Whittingham as the head of the AER because Ed Whittingham spent his life fighting against pipelines. So if you think that somebody else's past, they spent their entire career doing something and they can't change, then I don't see why you get a get out of jail free card. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Julie. I think um, that Jason Kenney really needed to kind of put his money where his mouth is. Um, I know he said that the, you know, his kind of more homophobic things that he said in the past were in the past and he's changed. I think the perfect opportunity for him to prove that he's changed would be to punt people. I know maybe it's not fair, but we're, if you're in it to win it and we're in a society now where we kind of, we love to give someone a good public scolding, so I think he would have earned a lot of points if he'd punt any of these kind of bozo eruptions. Well, he has up up until this one, yeah. right? And and so that's where it becomes tricky because people see, okay, well, you, you got rid of those ones, but not this one. There's obviously the political reality of the situation where you dump Mark Smith, you don't have a candidate. Yep. And you're basically writing off that riding. It's, I, I get it's a tough position for a leader to be in. Um, let's talk about the debate, though. Uh, going into the debate tonight, it certainly seems as though maybe this is a vulnerability for Kenny, one that, that Rachel Notley is going to go, go really hard on. But I think people do want to hear about other issues. Um, so let's go around the table. Uh, Michael, what, what are you anticipating? What are you looking for or hoping to hear in the debate tonight? Um, I think it's going to be a bit of a gong show, personally, because I think it's going to be uh, a lot of disjointed uh, yelling and finger pointing and your candidates do this and you are responsible because you did this, all these things. I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a bit of a sideshow. Um, I don't think it's going to be a constructive debate by any stretch because you're going to have um, 
every leader pointing fingers at everybody else. You've done this or you haven't done this or you have party members and you have people in your, your caucus that do this and you uh, messed up all of this. And I I don't know if it's going to be absolutely uh, something that's going to actually help a lot of people. I think it's actually going to be a bit of a gong show. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. Julie, what do you think? Um, I'm not actually expecting a whole lot of substance or, you know, actual concrete plans and civil discussion of issues. Um, I'm hoping that we don't have another kind of math is hard moment. Um, but, you know, I think that in debates, Rachel Notley comes off as a heck of a lot more likable than Jason Kenney. And I think he's really going to need to be on his A game tonight. This could be a turning point. Well, yeah, to that, I, th- I think a lot of candidates go into the debate maybe just trying to survive and not screw up versus those who think, I really need to make a splash. I mean, is, is there that element at all, do you think, Deirdre? I think so. I mean, I'm thinking back to 2015 because that was one that I actually paid attention to. And what I saw during that debate was, you know, Brian Jean... I will not cut your taxes, but that's all he said. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Dwayne Bratt, I think, said this morning that that people will be looking for who looks like a premier, who could be the premier. And, I mean, I agree. That's what we saw in 2015. So are we looking for someone to step up and and show us who that is? I mean, honestly, it would be fantastic to have four leaders in this debate that all come out looking stately and amazing. I don't think that's going to happen, (laughs) but. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think you you touched on something interesting. I'm still convinced to to a large degree that, that Brian Jean could have won the last election (laughs) and it started to go downhill for him in a big way. I think with the debate, because you, you, you are, you know, introducing yourself to Albertans as, you know, perhaps I could be your premier, uh, Obviously, the, these are known quantities we're dealing with, though, tonight, and at least the main two party leaders. Mo, you, you got any expectations or anything you're looking for tonight? Well, I do agree with, uh, with Michael's uh, opinion on it. I think it will be a bit of a gong show, lots of finger pointing. Um, they typically are. That's usually where they wind up anyway. They, they may not start there, but that's eventually where they wind up. So I'm, I don't hold out the same optimism um, as the rest of the panel, other than Michael, that, uh, that this will be somehow, uh, it, it'll be... Um, deliberate and professional, I think it'll be quite the opposite. Yeah. Uh, and, and we can go back the opposite direction. I think we touched on it last week, but I had Derek Fildebrandt on this week. He's out of the debate. They've, they've kind of set the threshold as not just having an MLA, but having an MLA elected under that banner. He thinks it's unfair. I think the New Democrats kind of wanted him there as you know, sort of a mischief-making kind of tactic. But uh, just kind of a quick thought from all of you. Should, should he be there? Well, I, I said last week that I thought he should, um, just for that very reason. I'm disappointed that he's not, because I think that even though his his platform um, may be very similar to the uh, UCP, I, I would like to hear more from him and, and maybe evaluate him as a statesman. Right. Although, technically, I guess he couldn't be premier with 24 candidates, but... No, true. Yeah, you're still trying to win votes. What do you think? I wanted him in just because I I think that would... I think that would allow uh, Jason Kenney to have to prove, and this was, yeah, have to prove his conservatism because right now he will be the most conservative individual on that stage. And with Derek on there, 
it would have helped to see what the difference between them is or the similarities or I and I I think that Derek would be better at holding Kenny to account on some of those conservative ideals. Mm-hmm. Julie? Um I would have liked to hear from him in the leaders debate. Um I understand why they can't just from a practicality point of view. It's you it's just too much to have that many people up there trying to debate and converse. So, but maybe a secondary debate for the smaller party leaders would be a good idea so we could hear from everyone. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Michael, what do you think? Um, I was more on the line of it didn't matter one way or the other. I think because of the number of candidates being run, he couldn't be elected as premier. And what we're trying to do is find a leader who's going to be our premier. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing some of the history of Jason Fildebrandt, um, do we want him in it? I probably can't hurt, but he's not going to be one that's going to lead the province should all of his candidates win. I'm he, sure. He can't. So uh, no. what we're trying to do is figure out who that leader is going to be to run our province. All right. Well, let's uh, take a pause here, panel. We'll come back. We'll talk a bit about some of the polls we're seeing in this race, uh, what what the parties are putting forth in terms of their platforms and, and how much people are looking for information on specific issues or whether people have their minds made up ahead of April 16th. It's our Citizens Election Panel. We are back with more right after this. All right, back with our Citizens Election Panel discussing uh, Decision Alberta 2019. Uh, look, a lot of focus, as we talked about, on, on some of these social issues and the debate within the UCP. But, you know, big picture, and, and there were some poll numbers out. We talked yesterday with pollster Janet Brown, the UCP, still holding a fairly comfortable lead. And, and overwhelmingly, the, the big issues for people are jobs, pipelines, the economy. I don't think that's going to surprise anyone around this table. But uh, your sense of whether... Anything has changed over the last week? We talked last week, I think, about whether people kind of have their minds made up already. I mean, is, is the electorate volatile? Could things shift? I mean, what's your sense, Mo? Well, I, I, I'm a little nervous about the, uh, or I would be a little nervous about the, um, the money that the NDP is throwing around. I think that if they couldn't balance the budget with the money they did have in, in, uh, in, the, in their, uh, um, while they were governing, I rather doubt they're going to be able to do anything more but make a bad situation worse by the, uh, by the, by the uh, uh, promises and especially the financial promises they've made to the, to the electorate. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the NDP are definitely targeting cities, right? And mm-hmm. urban voters uh, over rural voters said, you know, I mean, it, that seems very deliberate, isn't it? Well, yeah, and I think it's because... And I think it's because Urban has the potential to reelect the NDP. And I think the races, I mean, no, I don't think. I know the races are tighter in urban areas than they are in rural. So, I mean, I did pass the Rachel Notley sign on my way in today. So it's, it's not that there's no support. It's just that their money is better spent, their time, their doors are better spent in an urban area where they can possibly win a seat. Well, yeah, I mean, look, they, they could dominate Edmonton, and maybe they will. They have 14 seats in Calgary going into this election. I think there's 24 in Edmonton. That, that's, that's not a majority, right? So even if they can hold what they have in Calgary, they, they got to win people over somewhere else. And, uh, you know, is it selling to rural areas, that this strategy of theirs? I don't think it's selling to rural areas at all. I think... Um I think they're focusing a lot in getting more seats in Calgary, which I think is going to 
be super important to them if they want to get reelected. But I, if I was a political strategist for the NDP, I wouldn't be spending a ton of time in the rural areas. And what do you think, Michael? I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I've got uh, my family out in the Drumheller area, and for the most part, everyone's like, nope. UCP. Um, it's almost a foregone conclusion um, because they look at what was promised um, by the NDP and then what was delivered. Well, we're not going to tax propane for your heating your house on your farms and that. And they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these things they said they weren't going to do and they did. And farmers, if we don't have the support of the farmers and we don't have people growing crops and doing those things, your economy will fail as well. So it's a matter of they need to look where they think they can get seats and that will be cities. Um, Southern Alberta, I think, is lost to the NDP in many respects. Um, Edmonton is still very orange, um, mm-hmm. but a lot of like Fort McMurray, Grand Prairie, um, a lot of those areas, um, I think, are still very UCP heavy uh, in my travels for my work. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a toss-up. Uh, I think a minority could be coming. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that would be interesting. Uh, Alberta's never had one, obviously. <laughs> Maybe we're due for one. I, I don't know. I mean, how do people feel about that? Either it won't the, last. It wouldn't last. Whether it might happen or whether that's that's a good or a bad thing. I think that would be a fabulous thing. Yeah? Minority government with an Alberta party kicker. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, who's the third party? Because I think if it's just a two-party race, you're not going to get a minority. The, the numbers just aren't there. Is it, Could one of the smaller parties? I don't know. Mo, do you think, is this a two-party race as you see? Yeah, I, I think it is, clearly. I, um, yeah, I believe it's a two, two-party race for sure. Yep. And if it is, which I, I think it is, so if it is, how does the NDP find a path to victory? Do you think there's anybody out there? I mean, I'm sure there are undecided voters out there, but do you think, or do any of you think, that there are people who are actually deciding UCP or NDP? Is anybody torn between those two? I suppose it probably is, and I think the leaders' debate um, may sway some of those um, some of those voters. But uh, f- the people that I'm talking to um, are pretty much convinced in which way they're going to vote. Um, whether or not that changes between now and the election, I, I, it's it's hard to say. I suppose, but I think m- I, the most of the electorate is is uh, is set. So I think uh, people, yeah, it's, it's, some writings may may vary. That may change things. That may change the outcome of that writing. But I think overall, I think it's, uh, um, I think most people have made up their minds. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I think maybe right leaning people might uh, UCP or FCP, UCP or Alberta Party. I, I just I, I don't know that they're fighting for the same voters, the NDP and the UCP. No, are they? I don't know. I remember way back when. Um, I think it's two elections ago when the Wild Rose was predicted to have a giant majority and they were going to win. And you got all the progressive people strategically voting, saying, like, I know it hurts, but vote. There was even that ad at the time. I never thought I'd vote PC. Vote PC, you have to, (laughs) to avoid a Wild Rose government. So I think maybe there are some people who would like to vote uh, UPC, but then they get, they're so angry, they kind of have to leap to the... NDP if they really don't want him to win. Well, I mean, is how similar is this to 2012? Is is Rachel Notley, Allison Redford? I mean, there's obviously a lot of differences. Does anyone see the parallels? I, I mean, in, in that sense, it was kind of a two-party race. Um, conservatives very much were leaning wild rose, but 
It was a much smaller jump, I think. Right. I think Alison Redford, to PC. Alison Redford at that point in 2012 was, I think, was also really controlled by a conservative caucus old uh, boys club. Well, yeah, Ted Morton was in there, people like that. Right. So, I, oh, sorry. I think it's it's not quite uh, the same thing. I think it's it's you'll never see. A, I think. An, an UCP or a conservative voting NDP because of Jason Kenney, or you know, to have an NDP, NDP person voting UCP um, for another reason or for, uh, for economics or what have you. I think those lines are drawn in the sand. Um, and I think it's just the undecided voters that are going to make the big difference here. Yeah. All right. Well, stand by panels. We'll take a break here. We'll come back. Much more to talk about. It is our Citizens Election panel. We have got Michael, Julie, Deirdre, and Mo with us uh, here. My name is Rob Breckenridge. Uh, again, our number 403-974-8255. A lot more still to come this afternoon, but more with our panel when we come back. This is Afternoons on 770 CHQR. Continuing with our citizen election panel uh, as we uh, look ahead to April 16th, Election Day, looking back over the past week on the campaign trail, obviously a debate tonight and who knows what else over the next seven days. But let's talk about the Trudeau factor in, in all of this. You know, I mentioned this poll that came out this week. Rachel Notley actually outpolls her party. Her approval rating is about 13 or 14 points higher than her party's rating. People don't really, I think, dislike Rachel Notley as much as they'll dislike Justin Trudeau. Notley bristles said that the Trudeau-Notley alliance stuff, uh, certainly the UCP, even the Alberta party to a large extent, really going with the let's stand up to Ottawa kind of approach. And I think that resonates well here at the moment. I mean, is that something that, I don't know, is that something you're looking for in, in who you might vote for? As far as, far as the alliance goes or potential well, alliance? just in terms of... Yeah, standing, you know, the idea of standing up to Ottawa, does that play well at the moment, and how does that play with you? It, to me, it's very important, and I said this last week, that I think uh, Jason Kenney, for all of his warts and faults, I think that he is the, uh, um, the, the individual that can stand up for Alberta, and he has the personality to do, to do so. Moreover, I think he has, he has, by far and away, the greatest knowledge when it comes to federal politics of, out, of, out of all the leaders. So I think right. he is... He is in my view, the best person for that particular role. But does it does it weaken his argument in that how much really changed when he was there in Ottawa? Yeah. Well, he wasn't the leader of of, of the of the political party at the time, and I think that there was there were certain things in Ottawa that kind of handcuffed him, and I and I and he's he's explained that because he's been quizzed on that very on that very topic a number of times. Um, but now he's not handcuffed by the rules and regulations or the the protocols in Ottawa. He um, he's he would presumably be the uh, the premier of Alberta. All right, Deidre, do do we need someone to fight with Ottawa, and if so, over what? No, we don't need someone to fight. Ottawa. What we need is, what we need is, I guess, a better understanding of how the provinces and the and the federal government actually work together. That's not nearly as exciting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the 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 thirst for blood is definitely in the air in Alberta when you talk about Ottawa. But again, you know, Kenny was in Ottawa. Um, you know, hands tied or not. He's going to play the same game. I mean, unless it's unless it's Trudeau that he gets to fight against. But otherwise, it's it's just a it's a game of political theater. Well, yeah, I mean, it could be. 
it could be awkward in a way if, if Andrew Scheer wins. I think Andrew Scheer would take different approaches on certain issues than Trudeau. But, I mean, Andrew Scheer, if he's the prime minister, still has to govern for the whole country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we might still have some problems with him. But uh, I don't know, Julie, are you mad at, at Trudeau? Do you want somebody who's really going to get all up in his face? Or what, <laughs> how much of a factor is it or an issue is it? Um, I think it's definitely an issue. I think we do need a strong leader who's going to go to bat for Alberta. I don't think we need to be... Um, super aggressive or combative or fight or, you know, uh, there doesn't need to be any bloodshed or anything too dramatic. But we do need a strong person um, who's going to be reasonable and work within um, the rules we've got to work within and um, get the job done. That's one of the reasons why um, Kenny kind of talking about voting on equalization payments kind of made me wonder a little bit because like, what what's this vote going to be like what can we vote on like we don't write a check every month to ottawa that's not the way equalization works right but i think he's um playing on people's emotions as far as that goes and i think he'll definitely do that tonight without a doubt oh sure well trudeau is very unpopular in alberta so there's some smart politics but i mean are there legit issues that we got to deal with um i think there are because there has to be um ottawa dealing with the provinces equally whether that is a carbon tax that's imposed equally across the country, which currently Quebec is not going to be imposed with the same rules on carbon as the rest of the country, because they're Quebec and he needs those votes. Um, you need some equality on how... That was like uh, Rachel Notley saying she wants $25 daycare. Well, that comes out of your pocket, my pocket, and everybody else's pocket. And mm-hmm. he says, well, we're looking at the model of how it's done in Quebec. Well, the reason that Quebec can afford to do that is the equalization payments that come out of this province. So all it is is give, 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 and debt, debt, debt that the NDP keep racking up in their election promises. And someone who's going to look at Trudeau and say, enough. Um, You can't continually bash us and then milk us for every dollar that we can give you so you can give it to Quebec or any other province that you feel that that it's needed so you can maintain your votes in Ottawa. But what are we looking for? Like what could actually change that would make a measurable difference in Alberta? Like, if we could cancel equalization tomorrow, that, that doesn't put a single dime back in Alberta, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I'm wondering. What, what is it we want? I mean, if we want C69 canceled, C48 canceled, okay, that makes sense. We yeah. want some pipelines built. Let's try to move that forward. I don't know. Is, is it something specific where it's just we've kind of had enough? I think it's a had enough. I mean, we've got so many years... I mean, I go back to when I was a kid and Peter Lockheed basically standing up to Pierre Elliott Trudeau and saying, enough, this has got to stop. Yeah. And he put a line in the sand and it cost the liberals at that point. And Peter Lockheed became kind of like the hero and the folk hero of Alberta. Maybe we're looking for someone to do the same thing again and say, we've had enough of being everybody's whipping boy. Right. Yeah. I don't know. What would you agree with that? Well, I think uh, he referenced the uh, the 1970s. That was before the Constitution. The Constitution came in in 1983. Um, there's provisions in the Constitution for a referendum on a vote um, for uh, for various things. And one of the things that is up for grabs is is the uh, equalization payments. So I think that there um, that there there is that possibility of, of playing that card. I think it has to be played very very carefully. But I, I think the, uh, the possibility is there for sure. Um, there are things in the Constitution that allow for it without, without it breaking into civil war. Um, we, there is provisions for that. Well, that's an all interesting right. one because Quebec is a non-signator to that Constitution and it requires all parties and all provinces to agree to a vote on it. 
but they're a non-signatory to that constitution when it was brought back to Canada. So how does that evolve? They can say no, but they're not even actually signed to that constitution. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I know well, that Alberta the constitution is. Is, is not easy. <laughs> right. Whatever the issue is. Let's do this, uh, because we've got to, David who was called in. And David is undecided and wants to explain why. Uh, David, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, so you, you understand, I understand you are, are undecided at this point in this election. Yeah, I heard you guys talking about that, and I think there is a lot of people that are undecided for a few reasons. And, you know, personally, I really like a lot of the economical policies of the UCP, but I'm really torn on where they stand on some social issues. And another big one is the pipeline, and everybody knows that we, we need it more than anything. And I just I just don't know if Jason Kenney's approach to scrapping the federal carbon tax and fighting the federal government in court is going to get them to build a pipeline that they regulate and they own. I just don't know if that is the right approach, and that obviously makes me concerned. So that's kind of where I'm torn on a few issues. Okay. David, appreciate the call. Listen, let, let's think about that for a second, because he alludes to the carbon tax. I want to talk a bit about the platforms and, and what the parties are promising, and that that's certainly one issue that the UCP has been very outspoken on. So we'll find out a bit more about uh, where panelists are at on some of these questions, uh, what else they're looking for from, from the parties. So we'll take a break. We'll come back, and we'll let our panelists uh, respond to David's phone call. We're back with more right after this. All right, back with our citizens election panel. And let's talk a bit about the, the party's platforms, and, and in particular, I think the UCP, in, in the sense that if they're looking to be the government of waiting, how are they going to be different? What is it they want to do? Uh, they want to get rid of the carbon tax. They certainly talked a lot about that. Lower the corporate tax rates. Uh, Jason Kenney's talked this week about uh, streamlining uh, approval for, for various uh, energy projects. Certainly some changes to, to labor laws. That's been a little controversial. Maybe I'm leaving something out. So just you know, your own thoughts on maybe what you're looking to see from, from the parties or from the UCP, what you like or don't like about what they've put on the table so far. Michael, why don't we start with you? I think some of the policies like uh, dropping a carbon tax, like everyone said, well, he drops and kills the carbon tax with his bill one. Um, in many respects, so what? Ottawa is going to impose it on you anyway. And like we had in our off uh, discussion is at least keep the money in Alberta as opposed to uh, Ottawa collecting it and doing whatever they want with it on that respect. So I think that's a bit of a, a misdirection as well. We're going to kill the carbon tax. Oh, great, Ottawa will impose one on you anyway. Um, so I think we have to look at that carbon tax question deeper on why everyone figures this is the best way of uh, cutting greenhouse gas emissions or doing visually looking like we're doing something about um, an, an, a problem. Well, yeah, maybe that's the challenge, I guess, is the carbon tax is really unpopular. Are, are there different ways of addressing that same problem and, and still sending the message to, to others that we, we do take it seriously? We are environmentally responsible in Alberta. Um, I mean, Julie, on that point or, or, you know, what again, any of these other points that, that we're in their platform and not in their platform, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm also concerned about what's um, a post-Jason Kenney um election victory would look like as far as the carbon tax goes because I'm also concerned about what <coughs> what would Ottawa handling it look like. Um, the money wouldn't stay in Alberta. Um, I think we're, we just need to face the fact that we have to have something like that just for, even just for optics, just to say like, hey we're, we're taking the environment seriously. We're doing something about it. Um, I've said it before. I'd like to see it be revenue neutral um, mm -hmm. for starters. But um, 
I, I don't trust Ottawa to administer it. Um, I also like the idea of sort of simplifying and making getting things done easier. I've heard Danielle Smith say it lots of times. It seems like in Alberta lately, the process is the punishment. It's so hard to get anything done. And I know my husband works in oil and gas and he's in major projects execution and they're not doing anything new anymore. It's all maintenance. Yeah. There's nothing new happening. Uh, Dear G. Well, again, yeah, I hate the, I hate the, I'll get rid of the carbon tax thing, especially to woo oil and gas investment when oil and gas, major oil and gas companies for the last three and a half years have been saying, we support a carbon tax, we support reduction in GHGs. They, um, I, I, that's, that's one that's bothersome for me for sure. But, you know, I also, I also wasn't impressed with the, Alberta parties swing into whatever planet they went to this week because their platform announcements just kind of went from being, you know, reasonable to what on earth was this? Kind of loopy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that was way out there. So, um, you know, I haven't really heard anything aside from that uh, that, you know, is is going to make or break my support but i really think that as far as the economy goes that i want to see i want to see something that sounds like what business is saying and i'm not hearing that from the ucp which is supposed to be the one who's bringing it back and that's that actually really bothered me yesterday interesting uh mo i mean I don't know. I mean, has there been anything that surprised you? I think we, we've kind of an idea of where Jason Kenney and his party's coming from on a lot of these issues. But uh, what have you liked from what you've seen? You know, the ideas they're putting forward. Do you think they're on the right track? Well, I do. And I think that uh, the, th- the thing I like about it most of all is his, first of all, his, uh, um, his estimates are conservative. Um, what he, his royalty estimates are conservative. His spending is, is on the conservative side. Um, so, uh, you know, he, He's uh, he's looking. His you know he says he can he can balance the budget within within three years. Um, I I think there's much greater opportunity of that happening than than the NDP's platform thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, overall I think I like it because there there it's it's not he's talking millions of dollars where the NDP is typically talking billions, and I just wonder. As I said before, if they haven't been able to to get anywhere close to balancing the budget in the past. Um, how is spending more money going to going to going to help them? I just don't see that. Are, are you a voter that's eager to be rid of the carbon taxes? Is that a big issue for you? Not so much. I just don't like the way that it's applied. And I know they talk about this revenue neutral, and they talk about uh, you know families getting rebates. But I, I know it's hitting businesses very very hard. Uh, I don't know. There's much of a rebate um, uh, proposition for them, and that money or that pardon me, those costs get transferred right down to the consumer, which is you and I, which is, which are the families. And I, um, um, so we're paying it. We're not paying it directly, but we're paying it indirectly, for sure. So I, I know businesses are really hurting because of it. Well, and and certainly he's made a point of you know talking about making business more competitive, reducing red tape, you know minimum wage changes. There, there was some talk this week about overtime and and you know whether people could bank overtime, get paid out for overtime. Uh, to some people, it sounds like wait wait a sec, am I going to lose money? Am I getting screwed over on on this? Others saying no, this is this is a sensible change. Uh, works for businesses, works for employees. I, I mean, where do you all come down on them? 
Well, as we talked off air, I mean, when I first read about those those proposed changes, I was left wondering a little bit myself. But um, on the police department, I never worked anything but 10-hour days yeah. uh, for my entire career. So, of course, what that entitled me to was one day off extra per week, which is significant. And um, I, I, I see other, you know, other um, services that do the same sort of thing. And I know even private businesses are doing that now to allow employees to have a Friday off or every second Friday off. And I think that that's where um, being able to negotiate between your employees and your employer, I think, has great benefit for both parties. Yeah. Deirdre, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I agree. It is something that if if it's, I, I'm on the side of the the error of caution, or sorry, erring on ca- on the side of caution, because as long as it, um, because if it's if it's between the employee and the employer, then that's great. They can work out anything that works between them. What bothers me is situations where it's actually not optional, where it's it's forced onto someone because they need the job. So that's the thing that concerns me. I mean, it'd be great if everybody could get along and cooperate, but... <laughs> uh, Michael, we'll give you a chance to jump in here. If you want to talk about that or even just kind of in general, the question about what, what does business need and, and do we need to take a different approach when it comes to you know the regulatory burden on, on businesses? I think the regulatory uh, burden has become incredibly cumbersome. I mm-hmm. mean, um, Alberta and Canada, in fact, is like everyone, no one invests in Canada in oil and gas because the process between proposal to environmental studies to um even down to is this a, a gender study uh, how does this affect gender in the workforce and all these problems that cause it to just delay and delay and delay and delay and delay and even when you get an approval then you can throw up umpteen dozen lawsuits from every environmental um, group that doesn't like it or a first nation group that doesn't like something yeah. and it will just it's like business for canada is closed we will not do major projects c69 will kill that will kill any new major projects and that's basically going to leave Canada with the rest of the world going crazy for oil and gas. That is not a resource that is dropping in its need. It mm-hmm. is growing. And we're going to miss that boat. Julie, I guess we're tight on time, but we'll give you last word. Just your, your thoughts on that. I agree. I think the regulatory burden needs to be streamlined and reduced. Um, I feel like we just can't get anything done these days, and it's frustrating um, and I'd like to see the tax burden reduced so people can actually put some money back into their businesses and hire people and yeah. expand. All right, panelists, we got to leave it there. It's going to be an interesting week, the debate tonight, and who knows what else. But uh, look forward to seeing you one more time next Thursday. Thanks all for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so that is uh, Mo, Deirdre, Julie, and uh, Michael. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.